The scripture this morning is from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 10 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer now. Heavenly Father, we take this moment now to seek you, to ask that you would turn our hearts to you. May we be receptive to your words. May our minds, our hearts, our attitudes be in a posture of gratitude, of vulnerability, and of openness. Lord, in all that we do, from singing, from praying, from hearing, may all of it point us to you, that we may know you more that we may run to you. Father, I pray this morning our love for you and for those around us would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. May you fill us with the fruit of righteousness that comes through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray this all for the purpose of your glory and your praise, Father. And I pray it through the saving name of Jesus. Amen. I want to begin by telling you a story of how Amanda and I met. In the fall of 2001, we both went to the same school, a small Christian school in the heart of Minneapolis, Minnesota. And we had a couple classes together, but we also had paired floors, meaning there was a guy's floor and a girl's floor that they paired together, maybe so that we would date and find a spouse, I don't know. But it worked. So we were on those floors. And we had events together, and we had similar groups of friends that we spent time around together. And there came a point in time where hanging around each other, I thought, I I really like this girl. She was spunky, she was energetic, funny, joyful, always had a smile on her face. And and she had a smile that I just, I love. I just, it just, inside, I just get all warm and fuzzy when I see her smile. She was all the things I was not, pretty much. I was the serious, you know, oh, we're here to study. So we, I, and she, I'm, I'm a nerd, all right? I'm a, you know that. I'm going to reveal that right now. She'd wear her hair down, right? And she had, or she still has these ears that would poke through her, her hair when, when they're down, right? So you know I love Narnia. I love Lord of the Rings. Well... <laughs> This was an epic time for Lord of the Rings fans, all right? This is when they brought them to the screen, right? So I, I, I thought she was as beautiful as an elven princess. She was my Arwen. <clears throat> Guys, great dating tip. 
by the way. Use it. It works. Actually, just ask her. I, I just, I, I found myself attracted to her, right? To, to grow in my affection for her. So I decided, with the help of a close friend, to ask her to coffee. So, so I would ask her to coffee. I'd, she'd say no. I'd ask her to coffee again. She'd say no. I asked her for coffee again. She said no. Eventually, apparently I could be pretty persuasive when there's something that I'm really excited about. Uh, eventually, she said yes, and we walked to downtown Minneapolis in the dead of winter to get coffee. Now, if you'd, Minneapolis is a beautiful city, especially when it's snowing. They have these skywalks, these skyways that connect the buildings, so once you get to a certain area, you can get out of the terrible, terrible, terrible cold and get inside, right? But there's this coffee shop that had tables that would kind of line the skywalk a little bit so you could sit and talk and look out on the snow and the city. And we talked for hours. We would just talk for hours on end. I wanted to know her. I wanted to know her story. I wanted to know her quirks, everything about her. This is the idea that Paul gets at when he utters those few words, I want to know Christ. And then he unpacks us, unpacks it and calls us to that same goal. So today I'm going to break up the sermon like this, to know Christ and to run to Christ. And to know Christ in two ways, both in the power of his resurrection, but also the sacrifice of suffering. And then to run to Christ, to, to don't look back and to keep on keeping on. Yes, those are two random song references. Can anybody name them? First one is... I mean, who Boston is? First one is a Boston song. The second one is a Curtis Mayfield song. There you go. Now you don't have to spend the rest of the sermon Googling. He referenced a song. I don't know who did it. There you go. I just gave you the answer. But Paul, what Paul is saying is that when he wants to know Christ, to quote one commentator, he wanted to know Christ in the truest biblical sense, personally and experientially. And he wanted this to affect his day-to-day living. Not just to know about, but to change the way I live, to change the way I act, to change the way I behave. Now, I think it's worth hanging out for a second on this word, no. Because we see it all over Scripture, and it's used in various ways, but every time it's used, it's about close relationship. A type of knowing, a familiarity, a friendship, a closeness of knowledge. In the Bible, it's even used in the euphemistic way of physical intimacy. And I think intimacy actually is a good word for this this word no. I think possibly we might narrow the definition of intimacy into one, one category. But to know something experientially, to know something intimately, this is the Hebrew understanding of the word no. I want to experience Christ. So to know Christ is in part a knowing about, but that is a means, not an end. I wanted to know all about Amanda, but not so that I could keep her at an objective distance. Rather to have an intimate acquaintance, a closeness, a friendship, a relationship with her. To personally and intimately experience something or someone is what Paul's talking about. So this is why in in Christian faith we say following Jesus is a relationship. Because I want to know Christ. 
So Paul's saying, I want more of Christ, to grow deeper. Yes, to grow deeper in his teachings, but in order to enter into a closer relationship which draws Paul closer to Christ's heart in more intimate communion. And then Paul gives us two ways in which to know more of Christ. The power of resurrection and the sacrifice of suffering. One that we say, yes, I want to know that. I want to know the power of resurrection. Sacrifice of suffering, you can kind of get, yeah, if I have to, I'll deal with it. But Paul says, to know the power of resurrection is also to know the sacrifice of suffering. You cannot have one without the other. Paul is getting to the cruciform life. I want to know. Remember, no equals experience. I want to experience the power of resurrection. But he also says, I want to experience the sacrifice of suffering. And his desire is twofold. It's not only a future knowing. It's not only a, a what we sang, you hold me now, what's to come. It's also a present knowing. Today, I want to know the power of his resurrection. See, Paul wants to experience more of the power of Christ in his life. Do we? He wants the power that raised Christ from the dead to be more and more present in his life. Do we? See, we need that same power. You and I need that in our lives. And it's not so that we can, in the same power, go out and do miracles. Paul hasn't talked about any of that in the book of Philippians up to the point. Paul is, is praying for the power of the resurrection as he talks about obedience to God. Earlier, he says, have the same mindset of Christ. Earlier, he says, live a life worthy of the calling. See, we need the same power in our lives to live a godly life, to resist temptation, to meet every challenge that is in the world. We need the power of resurrection in our lives. Do we admit that? Do we seek it? Do we pursue it? We need the power of resurrection when our participation in suffering happens. We need the power of resurrection to live the life Christ calls us to, to run the race that he calls us to. And we attain that by knowing him. We attain that by pursuing him, by running to him, after him, seeking him, through the God-given and, and, and God-blessed means of personal and communal growth. This is time in worship, time in the Bible, time in community. Right? Just to answer the question, how do you get to know a person? You spend time with them, right? That's how you get to know somebody. It's time spent with a person. I need to be present. I need to be curious. I need to be teachable. I need to be open and receptive. And above all, I kind of have to make time for the relationship. Now, this is only the first part of Paul's desire to know Christ, to experience Christ through the power of resurrection. But he goes on to say to experience Christ by partaking in his suffering. 
This is key for us because I think our natural inclination is to pull away from pain, to pull away from suffering. Of course, Paul's point is to not go and seek it, but when it comes, what do we do? How do we, how do we react? See, Paul wanted to know Christ so deeply and to stand with Christ that when the persecution that Christ suffered fell on Paul, he could receive it as Jesus did. He would react as Jesus did. See, Paul understands as you know Christ more and as you make him more known to people around you, the more you can be called to suffer for him. Martin Luther put it this way. He said, why do, why, they gave our master a crown of thorns. Why do we hope for a crown of roses? And for fellow brothers and sisters in other places in the world, they intimately understand the sacrifice of suffering right now. We have family that are experiencing persecution. This isn't to say that we don't experience it here, but it's a matter of degrees, Right? And yet we can still apply this sacrifice of suffering, this participation in suffering in a myriad of ways. How do I respond? How do I react when hardship comes? How do I react when my family splits? How do I react when a loved one dies? How do I react when I get the diagnosis that I didn't want? This isn't an anti-emotional question. Jesus wept at the burial site of Lazarus even when he knew what he was about to do. We can and we should weep at such things, and yet the call is to respond as Christ did in his suffering. A response of patience, a response of trust. Our call is to follow Paul here, to want to know Christ. And the question I had to ask myself this week was, what do I know so intimately that I could talk about it for hours if asked? Is that Jesus? What, what in my life, if somebody were to ask me, I could just go on and on and on and on and on and talk about. Do I know Jesus to that degree? Do I believe I have access to the power of resurrection in my life here and now? Now, I hope we all can be honest and we all can admit what Paul admits. I don't know Jesus as much as I want to Yet. And this vulnerability is a beautiful thing. In fact, this is what Paul says in verse 15, that it's a sign of maturity. To realize we're not there yet. But it spurs us on to our second point, to run to Christ. To run to him. Paul openly admits that he has not obtained the whole treasure of knowing Christ, especially the physical resurrection. And so he turns to a running illustration to um, a running analogy to illustrate this. Now, I've said before, I don't run. I don't like running. The sticker that I would have on my car is 0.0, I don't run. Right? Amanda loves running. She's done marathons and stuff like that. Can't stand it. Never told you why, how I came to that conclusion. Okay? So, in high school, I tried track. That's where I learned I don't like running. Right? I wasn't fast enough to do the sprints. I was too lanky to do hurdles, so they stuck me in relays and long distance. And long distance is boring to me. You run around the track 
you know, like four times. Like it's like, I'm tired. Can I stop now? <laughs> but the, the, the only, the, what I learned, I learned a couple of truths that I think Paul is getting at here uh, for running. First, you're taught you don't look back when running. You don't look back because it slows you down. It takes your eyes off of the goal. Your job is to cross that finish line so you don't look back. The second thing I learned, and this had to do with relay races, similar to you don't look back, but you, you put yourself in a posture that's ready to receive the baton without looking back, but ready to explode when it's time to go. You put yourself in a posture ready to run, ready to move forward, ready to receive the baton, and now you run. And this is Paul's point. He says, don't look back. Keep on keeping on. Don't give up. You see, the goal is not behind you. The goal is in front of you. And so he says, forget what lies behind. Now, this isn't a forgetting like a memory wipe. Like, you don't, it just, it's gone. Like, you don't remember at all. This is the kind of forgetting that doesn't let the things in the past overshadow the present. This is both good things and bad things. Remember, Paul just got done explaining all the good that he's done, his resume, right, his pedigree. He clearly hasn't forgotten it. But he doesn't let it distract him from the goal. He doesn't let it distract him from Christ. It does not occupy his attention as the focus of his confidence or the focus of his concern. See, Paul is not distracted by the trophies of the past. It's a proactive choice to disregard it and pursue forward. It's not to forget good things have happened and have been done. Stonebridge has done some amazing things in the last 10 years. But we're called to pursue further. It also applies to the bad shadows, how the, how, how the negative things in the past can overshadow the present. Do I find myself licking my old wounds, dredging up the past, saying, well, you need to know what happened to me? Am I continually telling an old story to give the context of why I am the way that I am? Both postures, looking back on the bad and the good, can lead to a posture of resentment or pride, bitterness or bragging. Again, it's, you, you can look back and see what God has done to be able to say, you'll do it again. But it's when it begins to overshadow. We see this with the Israelites in Exodus 16 and Numbers 11. They look back to their time in Egypt, and instead of being grateful for the provisions that even living in Egypt they had, they start grumbling and complaining. Oh, it was so good. We had, we had garlic and, and cucumber. Oh, man. And I mean, they looked back without realizing their call to move forward. It was a lack of trust in God for future provision. See, Paul is doing something beautiful here. He's not letting what is behind excuse him from pressing forward. He's not letting the past, both the good and bad, be an excuse in his pursuit of Christ, in his pursuit of what God is doing. 
and the fruit that he's growing in us. Rather than, well, if, if you knew my parents, you knew I am this way. He's running hard every day after Christ's likeness. He's keeping on, persevering, keeping the goal ever before him. And this is important to catch. The pressing on is to a goal, is to something to come, and yet it has deep implications for the present here and now. Because how is a race run? Step by step. You run a race by taking a step and another step and another step in the same direction. See, each new task before us, each new challenge before us, each new day before us is an opportunity to run to Christ. A life of obedience to Christ is not big leaps. Rather, it's baby steps. Baby steps to the door. Baby steps to your car. Baby steps home. Baby steps to the workplace. Eugene Peterson wrote a great book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. In fact, in, in Aesop's Fables, right, the story of the tortoise and the hare, maybe you're familiar more with the Bugs Bunny version. But in, in that story, right, the hare, thinking he's got this, he's got the win in the bag, what's he do? He rests on his laurels. He takes it easy. The tortoise, though, through steady, persevering, achieves the goal. Are you running to Christ today? Maybe today is the first day that you say, I want to know Christ, and I want to run to him. Maybe today is 30, 40 some odd years of following him, and you say, I want to know Christ more. Every day I have the opportunity to respond as Christ did to the world around me. Rather than firing off a biting email, rather than reacting in anger when wronged, rather than holding people at bay in contempt, today is training ground to begin to move towards Christ as he grows the fruit of spirit in me. And you know what? I'm going to trip up. You're going to trip up. I'm going to be curt when I'm tired. I'm going to respond in impatience, in, an ungra- in ungratefulness. The call, though, is how quick to see it and how quick to turn from it. To seek Christ more and more, the power of his resurrection to empower me to true change. Some days the running may look like walking. But I still feel that tug in my heart, that pull on my heart to keep on keeping on. Do you? And you know how we know that we can keep on keeping on? How we will achieve the goal? Paul says it in verse 12. We can keep on because he has taken hold of us. Because he has you now. Is that reassuring to you? Jesus has taken hold of me, and now my running is not to prove anything. Now my running is not to to hope or 
not hope in that sense, but maybe wish that I'll get somewhere. Now my running is a response to the love of Christ with his hand on my shoulders. My encouragement to all of us today is if you don't know Christ, don't leave today without coming to know him. And if you know him, or at least know about him, pray that our hearts would be stirred to know him more. That we would seek the power of resurrection to press on towards the goal. See, after all, the prize, the, the prize that we're running toward is so much more than merely escaping this world's miseries. Yes, that will happen. It's bigger and better than never going to bed hungry or having shelter or being free from pain of cancer or having reunion with lost loved ones, although those are wonderful things and, and, and things that we hope for and strive for. The best thing about the prize that awaits us at the finish line is not the taste of the food at the wedding supper to come, is not having the tears of sorrow wiped away, although, again, good things. The prize for which we pursue every day, for which you and I are called to pursue and to run this race in obedience to God, the most intense pleasure to come is what, Paul, or sorry, what John says in Revelation 22. You will see his face. That's the best prize. All the other things are awesome that are going to happen. But to see his face, does that captivate your imagination? Does that capture your heart? That's what I pray for. Lord, today, captivate my imagination that one day I will see your face. You see, what captivates us, we become formed like. Set your imagination and what captivates you and your passions on the things of this world, and that's what will form you. Set your imagination and what captivates you on him, and he will form you. So my call for you, be captivated by the promise that we will one day see his face. And so now, step by step, run to him. Know him more. Let's pray. Father, today I want to know you. I want to run to you. I pray you would grant us your resurrection power today. May we experience you. May our hearts be so drawn and so captivated by you that, that we can't help but talk about you. We can't help but sing to you. We can't help but give our lives to you. Father, you know where each and every heart is in this room. You know what needs to be given up. You know what needs to be changed. You know what needs to be stirred. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would do your work. Father, as we give you our tithes and our offerings, I pray that you would use them so that more may know you. Lord, when we give, we give out of gratitude and, and, and we give in a way that is not to make Stonebridge great, is not to make our name known, but to make your name known, Christ. So I pray you would continue to work in and through our tithes and our offerings. And Lord, as we sing now, 
As you live in us, we have your power. Capture our imaginations. In your name I pray. Amen.